Good morning, how are you? Good, everyone seems a little logy out. Like it feels in here like it does outside, like hot and a little bit like gray. So uh, it's okay to smile today and to uh, just get up and just say Jesus is risen. And uh, you know what? We all have days like that. I know I do where I get up and I'm just like, ah, I'm not really sure. And uh, I'm going to try to smile today, but it's going to feel real forced. Um, but I'm just so grateful the Lord knows us. He knows where we're at and he loves us as we are this morning. How many are grateful that we serve a God who doesn't love a better version of us? He loves the real us right here, right now, today. Like, that's just good news, right? Like, that's good, right. We love you as you are too. Um, so listen, let me just tell you this one kind of preacher confession. Last week, I didn't finish my message. Um, I said everything I had prepared to say last Sunday morning, but I prepare my messages in uh, our prayer room. Um, I usually outline our messages there, and that's usually how a message comes together. It's me, a sheet of paper with the text on it, um, my commentary, study, prayer, and whiteboarding the message. And I got through one whiteboard last week, and I saw the whiteboard for the other message, for the half of the message that I had to cut due to time because you didn't want to be here till 12.30, and I was going to preach this week on Enoch, and I just got up, on, I got to the prayer room on Monday, and I'm like, I like that message still. So you're getting two weeks of Abel. You might go to church your whole life and never hear about Abel, but you're getting two weeks of Abel. And last week we said this about Abel. Abel was accepted by God because of his heart. Abel was accepted by God because of the condition of his heart. That's what pleased God most about who Abel was. But I want to look at Abel again this morning. Let's read the scripture about Abel, Hebrews 11, verse 4. It says this, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. One of the things that is common in pro sports today, if you're not a sports person, I apologize for this opening illustration. It's not going to connect with you at all, but bear with me for the other 75% of us. One of the things that is common in pro sports is for athletes to express their faith. I remember growing up watching TV with my dad on Sunday afternoons, back in the glory days of the Buffalo Bills, and I always remember when someone would score a touchdown and they were nominally Christian, they would kneel down in the end zone to pray. And all of the Christian boys and girls would say, oh, dad, look at that. He's praying. And it was a really cool thing. Maybe you've seen this before about athletes who pray. And a few of us might know Steph Curry. Steph Curry plays point guard for the Golden State Warriors. And Steph Curry expresses his faith on his basketball shoes. He writes right on his shoes in a Sharpie, I can do all things. When Steph Curry was asked, what does that mean? He says this. He says, it represents a Bible verse, Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's also my mantra, how I get up for games and why I play the way I do. Even locally, Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz, don't cheer, we're only allowed to cheer for Jesus in the church, uh, <laughs> Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz is outspoken about his faith in Jesus Christ. I actually, that's the only reason I sort of like the Eagles, is because Carson Wentz is the real deal. He spoke recently at Eastern University about his faith in Christ. Very cool thing. I love when athletes speak out about their faith. 
Not because I think lots of people are going to come to Christ because of it, but because I think for people like my son Joseph, who loves sports, and we're trying to show him that Jesus is great, that we can point to people in the media and in pro sports and say, you know what, son? You can have all the fame and money in the world, but these men, they love Jesus. Like, Jesus is more important to them than football. And I just love when athletes are outspoken about their faith. And I know some people don't like it. I know some of us think they should keep that private on the side, and that's fine. I love it. But this past summer, one athlete did something to express their faith in Jesus that did not involve words. And it caught the attention of not only the Christian community and should make us all feel wildly convicted, but also the national media took note of this story. Derek Carr, who plays quarterback for the Oakland Raiders, signed a five-year, $125 million contract. My pay at Spring Valley is just a bit less than that. So he signed a five-year, $125 million contract. When he was asked, what are you going to do with the money after he signed the contract, this is what he said. The first thing I'll do is pay my tithe like I have since I was in college. He actually says right in the story that he paid $700 on a $7,000 scholarship check that he received. That won't change. I'll do that. It's one thing to kneel in the end zone after you score a touchdown. It's another thing to write a Bible verse on your shoes. It's a whole other thing to give $12.5 million to your local church because you love Jesus. And I'm just praying Derek Carr gets traded to the Royersford Raiders. <laughs> they're thinking about starting a franchise here. It's, they're going to play at Springford High School, and he's definitely going to be the quarterback, and he'll want to come here. There's no doubt about that. I share all of that with you Just simply say this this morning. Though it's very important for us to use words to express our faith, it is important for us to use words we can't only use words. Our actions and decisions display our faith. Our actions and our decisions display our faith. The thing about Abel is, we don't have any record of anything Abel ever said, only what he did. But through his actions, his faith still speaks. Hebrews 11:4, and by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. So here's a question I want to answer this morning. If Abel's faith still speaks, what is it saying? Here's what Abel's faith says and the topic of our time together this morning, and then we'll close with communion in just about 25 to 30 minutes. Abel's faith said this, God is worthy of my sacrifices. Abel's faith says, God is worthy of my sacrifices. Hebrews 11.4 starts, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. I think a lot of us probably understand what a sacrifice is, but for the sake of clarity, let me define what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice is giving up something valuable for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. A sacrifice must first be something of value. In order to sacrifice something, there has to be a cost involved, something that we believe has worth. So let me give you an example. Let's say you live in Pottstown. 
I live in Potts Grove. I live right off a of high street in Potts Grove. And if I needed a ride home today and you lived in Pottstown and I were to say, hey guys, I'm looking at the bakers because they live in Pottstown. I was going to say, hey, can you drop me off on the way home today? They're going to say, of course, Joe, we love you. Of course, we'll drop you off on our way home. And you know what? That's a nice ride but they're already going that direction. Is that a huge sacrifice? Not really. It's only like five minutes out of the way. But if I said to Dan and Lynn, hey, Dan and Lynn, can you bring me to the Philadelphia airport during rush hour tomorrow morning? That's a sacrifice. That's a little bit harder than dropping me off on their way home from church. And I only say that to illustrate the point that a sacrifice has to cost you something in order to be a sacrifice. And what we learn is, is that Abel brought God a better sacrifice by faith. That word better in the Greek means more. He brought God a more sacrifice, not referring to the quantity, but rather the quality. Again, we said that the primary reason God accepted Abel's sacrifice last week, I don't want to undo everything I did last week, we said last week that the reason God accepted Abel's offering was because of the condition of Abel's heart. But we can also say, another side of the same coin, that the condition of Abel's heart led him to bring God a better sacrifice. See, Abel's faith was manifested by the reality that God was worthy of the better sacrifice he brought. Now we know from Genesis chapter 4 that Abel brought a sacrifice of animal fat. Thankfully, that's not the kind of sacrifice God wants from us this morning. That would make it really difficult to find people to count the offering, right? All right, what's this? Three pounds of fat? All right, what do we do with this now? Like, where do I bring this? Like, you don't want to do that anymore, right? This place would smell weird and our attendance would dwindle in a New York minute. You understand that, right? But does God still want us to bring a more or a better sacrifice. The good news is we don't have to guess what kind of sacrifices God wants from us because later in the book of Hebrews, the writer tells the people he's writing to exactly what kind of sacrifices they should be bringing and it's not a ribeye steak. Here's what it says, Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. There's three sacrifices we're supposed to make, and I want to share what those are right from this text. But before I do... I want to remind you of something wildly important. Everyone say, it's wildly important. Wildly, critically, could not be more important. Here's what you have to keep in your mind before we start talking about the sacrifices we're supposed to bring to God. Ready? The sacrifices we bring to God, the three things I'm going to tell us about in just a moment, do not make you or me more acceptable to God. The sacrifices I'm going to talk about from Hebrews 13 will not make you more acceptable to God. It will not improve your standing before God. The only sacrifice that can ever make us right and pleasing to God 
is the death of Jesus Christ, dying in our place for our sins. We should never think of our sacrifices as a way to get God to love us more. If you grew up in a family of conditional love, if your parents only showed you love when you did the right thing, brought home a good report card, and behaved in the way that they desire, you might think that's how God operates. That in order for God to unconditionally lavish his grace on you, lavish his goodness on you, that you have to perform for God. And I just want you to know this morning that you can never perform good enough for God to love you. The only performance God is accepting is the performance of his son. So when we talk about bringing sacrifices to God, let us not become the kind of people who are burning ourselves out trying to get God's attention with our sacrifices because that's not making you holy or acceptable. Only faith in Christ is, okay? That's a wildly important thing to understand because this message, it's all application. You're not gonna sit here wondering, well, what should we do, Joe? Like last week we said that God wants the condition of our hearts. That's a little bit tough to figure out what should I do. Like how do I have a pure heart? You only turn to Jesus. But this week, we're gonna put our faith into action. We have to, faith is doing stuff. All right, so let's look at them. Here are the three sacrifices that the writer of Hebrews tells the same people about Abel that they're supposed to bring to God. What sacrifices please God? What sacrifices please God? Not what make them love you more. Make him love you more. What sacrifices please God? Number one, quite simply, praise. Praise pleases God. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. So the word praise means to express the excellence of someone. God is pleased with the sacrifice of opening our mouths, raising our voices to express the excellence of who he is. Singing is not about us or how we feel. It's always about the worth and the excellence of who God is. When we enter this place week after week to sing, it's a time that we have set aside as God's people to tell the Lord what he means to us, to express our gratitude to him, and to say with our lips, to say with our mouths out loud, God, you are excellent. You are praiseworthy. Do you know it's not a sacrifice to sit during worship and be a spectator? It's not a sacrifice to just stand there and sit back and stare at the band and be like, let's see how they're going to do today. That's not worship. That turns this into a theater and you into an audience. But when we come to this place, we're supposed to bring a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. And you know that God is pleased when we prioritize our lives around worshiping him. Do you know that God is pleased when we clear out Sunday mornings to worship and adore him? Do you know that God doesn't love you more if you come to church every week? Super true. But do you know that God is pleased when we sacrifice our time on Sundays and say, I need to be with God's people to lift high the name of Jesus? 
Like there's nothing else more important in my life than being with the people of God to sing of the excellencies of who God is. God is pleased when we take time out of our Monday through Saturdays to worship and adore Him. Our praise should not be limited to Sunday from 10 to 10.30. Notice it says that praise should be continual on your car rides, on your bed at night, at lunchtime, with friends, on vacation, while cooking dinner, cutting the grass, and doing the laundry, and changing diapers. You can offer God a sacrifice of praise. You can sing to Him. You can confess that you desperately need Christ and tell Him how good He is. If we limit our praise to this room, we are probably trying to fit God into our lives instead of letting our lives be consumed by Him. And I believe God is pleased with our praise because as we worship, we become more like him. Do you know that what you worship, you become like? What you worship, you become like. What or who you worship shapes you deeply. As we express the excellence and worth of who God is, as we thank Him for all He has done and all He has given, He changes us and works in us and comforts us and speaks to us. And in the process, we become more and more like Him. And our lives become a deeper and fuller expression of praise towards Him. Do you know one of the fastest ways for God to just affect deep change in your life is yes, through prayer, and yes, through studying the scriptures, but also through worship. Because when we worship, we lift our vision off the things of this world, and we see an excellent God who is worthy and who is in control and who knows the beginning from the end. And as we worship and as we sacrifice, He works in us, and He is pleased by our praise. So I want to say something that's going to be a little stinging, but I don't mean it judgmentally. I really don't. I just mean it is, have you thought about this yet? For like the last 11 years, our worship leaders have stood on this stage on Sunday morning and reminded our congregation 112 times within a span of three minutes that the service is about to start. And sometimes it seems like, like I know there's some of you who just come right in and you are ready to go after it. But I'll be honest, sometimes I sit over in my chair and I see us kind of stream into this place like, well, I just needed to make sure I had my coffee before I sacrificed my praise. I just needed to make sure I finished up that conversation. And just what I want to kind of say that just pastorally and lovingly is, it's okay to just look at the person you're talking to before, before the service is starting and when our worship leaders ask us to come in to just say, hey, you know what? This time is for the Lord, and I need to go and be with God's people, and we need to give them a sacrifice of praise this morning. Like this corporate worship time should never be going through the motions. It's a wonderful opportunity to please the Lord with our song. Here's a second sacrifice that pleases God. You're going to wonder where I got this from. Spent all week thinking about it. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. The second sacrifice is doing good. You're like, Joe, you're really smart. Where'd you find that? 
It's right there. And do not forget to do good. Do you know that the New Testament continually calls us to a life of doing good? The New Testament continually calls us to a life of good works. I'll just give you two examples. First one's from Jesus. Matthew 5, 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then Jesus' half-brother, James, says this in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. James says this. I love this passage. It needs no explanation. I'll read it slowly. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a great day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. Your faith is dead and useless. Wow. Man, James, like you're just not mincing any words. Like, if I'm not doing good, my faith isn't real. Our good works don't save us. But genuine faith in Christ always leads to a life of doing good. God is pleased by our good works that are done for him. Now, let's just be real with one another. This is true in my life, so I am not picking on you. I'm just kind of acknowledging the human condition. Sometimes we do good in order to look good. And that's not for God. That's for your ego. That's for building your sense of identity on your good works. God is not pleased when we do good to look good and try to live impressive lives to other people. God is pleased when we see needs and we meet them. He is pleased when we show compassion and mercy in tangible ways. He is pleased when we don't make a show of our good deeds and do them quietly and don't post them on Facebook and do the humble brag thing. Like, you see that sometimes on Facebook, right? Like, so we're, we're going to go down and we're going to go to Houston and we're going to go and we're going to serve hurricane victims. We have 20, like, two people from our church going to Houston. It's awesome. That's such an awesome testimony of the heart of this church. Yeah, that's outstanding. I thought we were going to get, like, six I need more faith. Pray for me. Andrew tells me that every staff meeting. Anyway, like, and here's the hard thing for me. We want to keep you updated about how things are going in Houston. But as a pastor, like, I want to look good. I want my other pastor friends to see us doing good works. You're like, Joe, that's sick. I know. I know that. But sometimes that sickness works its way into my heart. And so I don't want to post pictures of us in Houston helping hurricane victims. The only people that have to know is us. We'll try to send you some pictures through email. But my heart needs not to highlight my good works. My heart needs my good works to be just kind of more in the background. Because I don't know about you, but I want people to think good things about me. I'm pretty sure you probably want people to think good things about you too. 
And I only bring up all this to say is that as we do good works, we need to pray fervently that what we do for the Lord is actually only for the Lord and not for our reputation and our ego. All right, that wasn't even in my notes, but that was a good part of the message. And here's the thing. Doing good often means sacrifice. Doing good means that we're going to have to sacrifice. Sacrifice our money, our time, and our perfectly planned schedules. Do you know that it's going to be really difficult to live a life of doing good if you aren't open to God interrupting your life in order to use you to do good? A lot of us like the idea of doing good. We just aren't willing to make the sacrifices to do good. So I have a question for you. What sacrifice do you need to make in order to start living a life of good works? What is holding you back? Why don't you pray this prayer this week? Why don't you pray something like this this week? God, open my eyes to the good you want me to do this week and give me the courage to make the sacrifice for your glory. So what are the two sacrifices God is pleased with? Number one is praise. Number two is our good works. And number three, quite simply, is generosity, a life of generosity. God is pleased with that. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. The connotation of the word share, when he says share with others, it's a financial kind of connotation. God is pleased when we share our money with others. Here's what I know. Sometimes it's far easier to share our time and to maybe even share our food and to share clothes that don't fit anymore than it is to actually share our money. Here's one thing you need to be aware of as a, an American person, assuming you're an American person. If you're not, welcome. We are really glad to have you. But here's one thing you should be aware of as an American that makes it difficult for you to share your money. We live in a culture of achievement, meaning when we achieve certain levels in our career, we are rewarded with what? Money. It's not bad. It's how the world works. The more you achieve, the more money you get in your paycheck. It's just kind of how things seem to work. Here's the problem, though. When we convince ourselves that we have money, because of our achievements, we tend to think of our money as our own. I achieved. I worked hard. I put in 58 hours this week. I got my graduate degree. I've been moving up the corporate ladder. I have worked super hard. This is mine. I achieved it. This belongs to me. That's a problem. Because when you think about your money as yours, it makes it really difficult to share with those who have not achieved like you. We are a nation of rugged individualism. About a million people have said that before me. But we are radically individualistic. And we don't really see ourselves as part of a community first, we see ourselves as individuals, first as a single person, then as a family, and then maybe down the road, a church family. 
but we think about ourselves as an individual person first. And when individual people achieve and other individual people have not achieved, we tend to think there's something better about us than there is about them. But the scriptures say this, that everything you have is a gift. And the only reason you have achieved anything is because God has given you the ability to do so. We are not owners of what we have. We are stewards. We have been given resources by God to not only supply our own needs. God has definitely given you wealth so that you can care for your own needs. But he has also given you wealth to share and to bless. I'll put it this way. God has blessed you to be a blessing. God has not just blessed you as an end of itself. God has blessed you as a means to a greater end, which is the blessing of others. I want you to understand something this morning. Christian giving starts with tithing the first 10% of everything you make. And you know what, through the years, I've really kind of morphed on this subject. Like, I don't actually think, like, some people teach that if you don't tithe, your wealth is cursed, because that's in the Old Testament. But, you know, what really convinces me that Christians should at least start giving with a tithe is not necessarily because the Israelites in the Old Testament did it. They actually tithed 23.5% of their income. We can form a line for everyone who wants to do that right over here by the piano after service. But what I actually see is, is that the laws in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfills them in the New Testament. And it's no longer like you must do this or God's going to be angry at you. It's more like, I cannot believe all that God has done for me in Jesus Christ. I don't want to do less than what the law said. So I really actually believe biblically, because of the grace of God, because of the resurrection of Jesus, and because of my future hope, that I am the richest person in the world because I have Christ. The followers of Jesus, we should lead the way in giving. And some of us like act like heroes because we give a little bit at the end of the month, but like a tithe is like the first and the best. For many of us, the tithe is the better sacrifice. See, when we learn that God makes 90% go further than 100%, when we learn to tithe, it's the place that God teaches us to open up our hands because we can trust him with our money. See, tithing allows us to trust God so that we can share with others. Tithing is not the goal line, it's the starting line. See, God is pleased through our sacrificial giving to those in our lives who are in need. God is pleased when we bless people with gifts of grace. God is pleased when you are aware of someone in our church who is in need and you quietly meet that need without needing giving credit for it. God is pleased by that. God is pleased when you see a need and he's given you the ability to do it, and you're like, well, sometimes, like, I can't afford that. And I would say, before you say you can't afford that, 
be honest. Can you not afford it? Or do you just not want to make the sacrifice necessary to share? Those are two totally different things. If it's the difference between paying your mortgage and not paying your mortgage, okay, uh, we're not going to argue about that. But if it's the difference between a Hawaiian vacation and something far less expensive that I can't really think of right now, like we're called to make sacrifices like that. And by the way, I do want to go to Hawaii someday. But, but just feel the weight of that. Feel the weight of the fact that sometimes we don't want to share because we actually don't want to sacrifice. But God is pleased when you see needs and you meet it. This is something I've always observed in my mom and dad, John and Sally Terreri. Mom and dad did a great job training us around giving. They've been tithing since before I was born. But I just know through the years that mom and dad have helped people. And the only reason I know is because I'm nosy and I was really good at eavesdropping at what my parents were saying. They weren't like telling us all the time, like, oh, we are incredibly generous people, kids. No, like I just saw in my parents mercy and compassion and seeing people in need and just writing a check and like not making a big deal about it. And you know, we're still kind of a newer church. And for some of us, this is maybe your first church experience in a long time. And I just want that kind of thing to become normal. And maybe it is normal because when it is normal, I won't really know about it. Because it's not about me. It's about you loving one another. But you know that God is pleased with our sharing? God is pleased when you give regularly and sacrificially to the church so pastors like me can give our lives to the preaching of the gospel and equipping you for ministry. I have a job because we sacrifice together for the church to supply pastors and leaders. But that's only possible through sacrificial giving. God is pleased when we sacrificially give to hurricane victims, missionaries, and our neighbors. God is pleased when we give him and others a better sacrifice and not our scraps. But you know the only way we really learn to sacrifice by sharing? Do you know the only way to learn that? It's not for me to tell you about it. It's for you to do it. See, a lot of us thought during the beginning of my message when I talked about Derek Carr, you had this thought. Your defense attorney said this to you. If I had $125 million, tithing would be no problem because you have $112 million left. And you know what a lot of lies people are telling themselves in this room? When I have more, I'll be more generous. That's not even close to the truth. That's actually a lie from Satan. The truth is, you will always be as generous as you're willing to grow in generosity. See, we only learn to be generous by making sacrifices with our money. 
it is impressive to tithe $12.5 million. But you know what else pleases God? When you make $1,200 a month and you share. See, God is doing something in our hearts when we open up our hands and we give. He is teaching us to live by faith. And he is letting us be a conduit of blessing other people. And that's not something you wait to do until you're retired and you don't have a mortgage anymore and you don't have to pay for college anymore. Learning to share starts right at the beginning of the journey. And here's the beautiful thing I've learned in my own life. Had to learn it real recently, to be honest with you. God is always faithful. One of the most exciting things in the Christian life is realizing that God has blessed you to be a blessing. It's letting go of what we have our hands so tightly around. I'm not calling you to be irresponsible. I'm calling you to be obedient to God's spirit. See, because this is how it works for Cheryl and I, sometimes the spirit will point out someone in our lives that we need to bless, and we do it. And do you know it's really hard to say yes sometimes? Because I know exactly how much money is in my bank account right now. I know exactly how much is left that's going to come in. And I know the bottom line of our family for the rest of September. I am, I am like laser focused on our budget. And every time the Lord asks me to give, I have to really wrestle with this question. Is that mine? Or is it his? And I just want you to know, as I've learned and Cheryl and I have learned together to be obedient to the Lord in our sharing, he has never left us. He has never forsaken us. And I just want to challenge you with that this morning. Here's why I'm challenging you with that. Because it pleases God. If you walked through those doors this morning and I asked you, hey, do you want to know how to please the Lord? I hope you'd say yes. So how do we please the Lord? We come into this room, we're by ourselves in our cars, we're making dinner, and we just start to confess his name. We praise him. And then the second thing we do is we commit ourselves to lives of good works. We help those in need. We see a place where we can really serve someone who needs it, and we jump in. And then the third thing is we open up our hands and we share. We share. And this is what it means to please the Lord. A worshipful life, a life of doing good, and a life of generosity. And here's why you should commit yourself to doing those three things. Because you are the most deeply loved people on the planet. Because God loves you. Because there is no guilt. We don't do these things out of guilt and shame. We do them because we're the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We do them because he rejoices over us with singing. We do those things because he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. 
We do these things because he created us and he knows us and he cares for us. Not because we feel guilty, but because we are more loved by our Father than we could ever imagine. I want to invite our ushers to come this morning. We're going to receive communion. I want to invite our worship team to come. I want to ask you this question as we're getting ready to receive communion. Is your faith speaking that God is worthy of your sacrifices? Is your faith speaking that God is worthy of your sacrifices? Just think about your own life, your own actions, and just kind of start to wrestle with that question.